Coming up on today's show, I'll be reviewing the World War I thriller 1917, which has finally hit theaters nationwide. And as far as my guests for that segment, I'll be saving that for the segment itself. But if you've read the description, you know who it is, but I'll save the theatrics for the actual review. I'll also be chatting with actor and fellow podcaster Jasper Cole about growing up in Georgia, what caused him to move to Los Angeles, how he got into acting, and how he found his niche playing a villain. All that and more coming up on today's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. I just saw 1917 and to be honest I'm still kind of processing it but we're going to get through it and we're going to talk about it but I'm not alone as you know I like to have a couple of people on to do these movie reviews and I'm happy to say that for the first time I think in over a year we have the lead vocalist of the Unicorn Wranglers Mr. Joey Trincali here how are you sir I'm shook (laughs) <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same spot. It's, we were talking, you know, when we got here, I was like, I'm just trying to process this whole thing because it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to be here, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no. So I, I did want to preface this also. So I like to have at least two people on to do these reviews. And I tried really hard to find an extra person. Like, I, I literally put out a wanted ad on Craigslist. And it just... It, I, I had to resort to something. And he was the only one that put that it called so, out. <laughs> I just want to say I apologize for what's about to happen. Bam! I'm back, baby! <laughs> 30 episodes and I'm back! You think you guys could keep me off this podcast forever? I can't oh, no. I can't tell you how much he's been itching oh, to get back behind no. the microphone. Yes. Welcome back. One of the, actually, the very first guest I had on the show. This is actually his 31st appearance. The bassist for the Unicorn Wranglers. Cheers, Mr. Adam Waldron. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm shook. Um, <laughs> I think that, that seems to be I'm the case. I'm drinking whiskey because that's what they did in the movie. <laughs> Pretty much. And I feel like I'm right there with them. So, so let's just dive right in. We literally <sighs> just watched the movie. Now, I want to preface that by saying we've been waiting on this movie for quite some time. I think you actually introduced me to it. Uh, we were talking about it at work a couple of months ago, and you had mentioned the, the whole thing was shot as one yeah, continuous I, take. I remember seeing uh, I remember seeing an article about it, because at first I was like, oh, cool, a World War One movie. You don't see a lot of those. You know, Normally it's World War II and, and, and everything. Um, but then I saw that Sam Mendes was directing it. Um, who who's very 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 good director when it comes to cinematography and things like that? Obviously, with his work on Skyfall uh, and everything. And then it was like an it was like one of those sponsored like Facebook things, and it was like, uh, hey, behind the scenes look on how we shot this in one take. And I was like, wait, one one take? <laughs> like, wait, what do you mean? And so I watched the whole featurette. And like they had the cranes and they had like this guy that would just like run and grab the camera and keep going. And they would like hop on a motorcycle. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait, you're telling me you shot the whole thing, you know, basically Birdman style, you know, in in one take. And uh, yeah, I think. Except with explosions. Except for with explosions. (laughs) 
and a lot of dazed looks. Um, and yeah, I think you and I, Derek, we, we looked it up and started to read more about the film. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I hadn't, I, I like to think that I try to keep up with like what is going to be um, good in the winter months and like Oscar kind of movies and stuff like that and I remember seeing this trailer for the first time and I was like what is this like because I I kind of am at times um like war movie averse actually I've kind of I'm a little fatigued from it and it takes it takes something like a special director or a special idea for me to be interested um so it's not like every like when Midway's trailer came out, I was like, no hard pass, no thank you, no thanks, Nick Jonas. Okay. <laughs> Whereas when this trailer came out, I was just blown away, and I immediately said, I gotta see that. And then you guys brought it up to me, and I was like, oh yeah, this is a movie we'd like to see well, together. <laughs> and I think on your point, I mean, you 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 talk about the war film genre, and it, it's exactly that. You look at the two, the past two, you know critically successful war films now being 1917 and Dunkirk. Yep. You know, who actually have pretty good actors behind it. And then you look at the ones that didn't do so well, which Midway, I did it even come out or is it It came out in like yeah. November. It oh was, my god. Yeah. yeah there wasn't me. a lot of hype behind yeah. it. Yeah. And then I guess before that it was like what like 12 strong. Yeah, there was the yeah, um there's, there's the there's one there's with like, Andrew Garfield that got that actually had like oh, some yep, buzz. Yeah, that, that was uh Hacksaw that was Ridge. Hacksaw yeah, Ridge. Yeah, yeah. That didn't, um, it didn't do it for me. I don't know. I guess I'm more into at this point, like the, if it's got to be an interesting concept or shot in an interesting way for yes. me to find it intriguing enough. And this was certainly that way. Yeah. And I thought the same thing, you know, when you told me that the whole thing was shot as one continuous take, my initial thought was, cause we did the one take for the Parker syndrome and even that was a challenge and that was like a two or three minute scene i was like i can't imagine shooting a two-hour film and you only like had that. one explosion so yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the budget went to that one explosion <laughs> but no it, it it wasn't just that per se you know i i'm a pretty big fan of of cumberbatch benedict cumberbatch mm -hmm. is one of my favorite actors in hollywood right now so when i saw that he was in it and just i feel like a lot of the war films deal more with World War II and the Civil War. So the fact that it took place during World War One was intriguing to me because I feel like that's a story that, as far as being told on film, doesn't really get a lot of credit. And I feel like it. what it did well was, like, the trench warfare nature, nature of it. And not that we saw... We didn't see, like, a lot of battle, per se, but... You just, I felt like they did a pretty good job of giving you a good vibe of how awful it was and how like horrific it was. And like poking your head up a half a foot was suicide essentially. And, you know, for, are we doing spoilers for this? Are we allowed to, what, what are we thinking for this? Uh, sure. Okay. Cool. Hey, this is your warning. Warning. I'll put it in the title too. I always do that. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's I not mean... like it, you know, it's a war. It happened. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I've got it up on Wikipedia right yeah, now, just true. in case we have to. Well, to your point, Joey, I felt like the attack, like the threat of attack, was the suspense of it. Yes. You know, with the these two guys traveling from one area to another to deliver this letter, you're just waiting for them to be ambushed or waiting for them to be attacked. And that created the suspense all in itself, more so than when attacks actually happened. Yeah. 
No, it was a thriller movie inside of a war movie. It was almost relieving when like the attack did happen. Yeah, because you're like, okay, God, there we go. Yes, because at least you knew. At least you knew because like you're just walking around. You're just come on, man. Just don't. I don't know. No, there is moments. I mean, we we talked about it coming in. There were a few moments of like quiet, and and then that moment, and just you free. It was really. It was. It mirrored horror movies, which when we were were watching the trailers, there's like five trailers for horror movies, and it's kind of like why. Like Christine said that when we were walking out, she was like, "Now I know why they did horror movie trailers." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, okay, I get that. That makes sense." Okay. Yeah, I even made the comment. I think to you is like there are a lot of horror trailers yeah. before this thing. It was insane. There was like two war trailers, and the rest were horror. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was wild. The moment that made me jump, and this is, I guess, where we're officially getting into spoiler territory, when they're inside the German bunker, and they find the tripwire, and you and, and the rat falls off the bag and starts oh, yeah. walking, I'm like, uh oh, and then, that's the first great moment of the movie. Yeah, which again, I can't even tell you. It felt like it was both like 30 seconds into the movie and also like an hour into the movie. And yeah, I know it was they, not either of those. They had to but, make yeah. it through no man's land first, yeah. and you're like. Come on, are they not going to be able to make it through the whole entire without anything? Well, and then you know the guy got dysentery. I mean, there's just <laughs> I'm telling you, you cannot. I'm not going to. You cannot st- be bleeding from the hand and then stick your hand into a dead man's guts and not get in trouble. I'm just going to be honest with you. When that happened, I was just like, Ugh. I actually physically had an audible response. Of, oh my god! <laughs> I was like, no, no. Oh like my- mine when the person's cell phone went off. <laughs> It's like that's the end of the movie. He's dead. <laughs> Don't even keep filming this. The, the some of the just some of the like the cinematography. Obviously, the cinematography was great, but some of the most haunting moments were just like faces. That again, that's what I was saying about how they did a pretty good job of making it very clear how awful this was. And there were just moments where they're walking around, and it's just like a dude's face, just like in the ground it just yeah. popped up dead and then that mirrored the shot of um Schofield mm-hmm. of the you know the second guy that was there going along with them in the rubble and just like can't breathe and the dust is all in mm. and just I just think that they immediately made you so I think they did a good job of immediately making you so interested in those two guys and their well-being and their safety more than anything else, which is sometimes, I think, difficult with a movie like this because there's so much death and violence. Mm-hmm. Well, it was such a big event, but it was such an intimate setting with following these two characters around. And that, that's what I really like, and it's to use The Mandalorian as a reference. It takes place in this huge universe, but feels like a very intimate story that's an integral part of it. So right. I, I think that was what, to me, made it a really enjoyable film or one of the multiple aspects of it. Yeah. Well, the simplistic approach to it, you know, there, it, it wasn't very complex, right? You know, it, and, and it mirrored like it, uh, me and Joey were talking about it when we got out of the theater. Um, it mirrored a little bit of the Dunk the Dunkirk a- aspects of it where you don't really get to ever see the Germans clearly, you know, mm-hmm. you right. know, they're, they're, it's the threat. It's the threat that that is there and um you know it just builds that suspense but i mean some of the set pieces in it i mean it was just crazy you know do you do you think that the 
to put our critical hats on for a second, do you think that the the knowledge of like the one take and that you're watching, do you feel like you're taking out, you're taken out at all of the emotional stakes of it? Thinking about like how the hell are they doing this? Because there was a couple of times, and not in not in the worst way. Like I still was really emotionally invested, but there are a couple of times where I'm like, maybe that's where they cut it. Like they just like they got a little black the, there and they cut for a half a second. The rock goes in front of yeah. the camera, and you're like, ah, that, yeah. That's I was it. like, I that's think it. that's where they did their first twelve minute take, and it's yeah. like now they get to. I don't know. Like I sometimes I wonder when you are. I can't remember who I was hearing. This, it was, they, they were talking about this on the big picture mm-hmm. with one of the directors. I don't remember who it was. And they were talking about like how everyone's in love with the Warner and how mm-hmm. it's so cool. And he was kind of just saying that, not that it's a bad thing, but that it is a very like, hey, look at me, look at my directing. Whereas like the initial idea of movie making was that you finally had the ability to cut and mm-hmm. edit. Mm-hmm. And it changed and made it different from like sitting down and watching a play. You know what I mean? Like that's that is a part of it is that you were able to cut. So not that that it was awesome. I don't. <laughs> it was so cool, but like there were times where I was kind of like looking at him, being like, "Oh, okay, whoa, how did like just like how did they do that?" Rather than I'm worried about that guy. Yeah. Well, I, you know, going off that point, Joey, and 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 the, I I do agree with you to that to the point where it's. As someone who recognizes, you know, directing styles right, and things yes. like that, and and you know, I I like the movies and I like studying movies and all that stuff. That I was intrigued at a lot of the times to be like, oh yeah, 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 that's where mm-hmm. they must have cut it. But at the same time, I think, I think it, it it had never been done with a war film before. You know, and and what it really did was, and even this wasn't even the most grandiose, you know, we're thinking Saving Private Ryan yeah. into the movie, Germans everywhere, Ian type thing. This was, this was very cat and mouse esque, um, but it it really brought you down, almost in a way, in a in a grounded way in the actual path that these mm-hmm. these characters were taking, and I didn't, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, there you was know. like everything was for the most part everything was super low shots. Yeah. So that's a really cool point that you're like that everything's super low. You do not feel like you get an understanding of the scope of it, really. Yeah, no, at you... all. Other than when you're looking out at the vastness of what they're having to, but you never get like a large over. You don't get that like the town Ben Affleck shot where you get you know the helicopter, yeah, <laughs> going across. And you're always down at ground you, level, you know. And you think about you think about uh you know one of the one of you know famous military movie scene of of. Saving Private Ryan and the Clock Tower Sniper, yeah, you know, and then it's the back and the forth between the sniper and the and the, the Clock Tower, back down to the ground to the troops, back and forth, back and forth. Where this is more like a bullet hitting a piece of metal is going to make you jump out of your seat, and then you're just as confused as the other as the guy on the screen because you're like, all right, well, there's a building over there, and it's it might be coming from there, and you know, it, it just it brings this this whole another aspect to the danger you know it changes the danger because it really masks it against the setting yeah, yeah. kudos to george mckay that's lance corporal schofield okay because yep. that yeah, that guy man he really did a good job of 
I'm scared and don't know what's happening. That's a, yeah. he's got that look down. I mean, very <laughs> impressive. Okay, he, if he ever has to play someone that is knowing or wise, I don't know if he can do it. But he really plays. I am shook and don't know what's happening. Well. If he can't do that, he has found his niche. <laughs> well, to go off your earlier point as far as being immersed in the technical aspect of it, you know, of course I'm going to sit there and I'm going to think, oh, this is really cool how they're doing it. Because I, I especially loved in the beginning when they're in their own bunker and watching the background actors, yeah. you know, just kind of interacting with each other and watching what they were doing because it really it brings a lot of life to what the scene is. But I, I thought it had a really good balance of suspenseful moments. And then when those moments will be over, you would be with just Blake and Schofield and you're getting to know the characters and seeing their interaction and them getting to know each other. I was kind of shocked I laughed. Yeah. I, yeah. I laughed yeah. like actually multiple times in the movie. There was there was there was a little bit of humor. I mean, sometimes like it was just Adam and I laughing. I heard yeah. just me and you. <laughs> laughing well part of me was because we're we're in the theater next to star wars and i kept hearing tie fighters flying over i'm like wait a minute we're like simmer down john i, I just thought that I'm was like, i thought that was in the movie you and i, I were talking thought... about i was i fully expected at the end it was going to be kylo standing out there in the middle of the field well the funny thing is we were walking you and i were actually walking through the hallway and we walked by the imax theater and all of a sudden we heard dun, dun, dun. like oh and Derek, timing. and Derek starts to inch over there, and Adam's like, come on, we've got to do a podcast <laughs> on this later. It's like, no, you've seen that movie three times. Come on. But I think it was the the sequence before they got to what I assume was a farm. Right. Where you're really getting to know those two. And I, as great as the technical aspect was, I thought the acting between those two was great. And I, I know leading up to this, it, it won best drama at the Golden Globes, which was shocking to me. Like I was not expecting it to win it at all. Mm. But if anything, it made the anticipation to see this even more. And I know in the promo material, you know, with commercials and trailers, it was being billed as Christmas Day. Right. But then it was in select theaters Christmas Day, but then released everywhere January tenth. So we had to wait even longer. And it honestly felt like forever between Christmas and now. And I think it's just because I had such anticipation of seeing this movie. When it won the Golden Globe, like, I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you did say All that. Right. Was, you texted us. So you are like, it's, yeah, it's real it now. Just, yeah, it's yeah. real. It just won the Golden Globe for best drama. And, and I, to me, and I know I just saw it, but to me it should win best cinematography. Oh, like for for every award, yeah. I need to think about it still, but it was pretty. I don't know. I how mean, the you, set, the, the it's well, like sets. kind of unfair that they they should have their own category almost. Like, but yeah, best winner of the year. Yeah, I mean, it was get like a achievement award. You know? Yeah, to everyone. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it's weird because I'm actually looking forward to the Oscars more than I have the last couple of years. And it's I think it's because there's... Well, because, Derek, you've seen like 42 movies. That's like, how yeah, it works. That's, 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 that's why when you're looking you are invested, to. You've, you are, I'm excited too, because I feel like I've seen... We talked about this. Seen almost every movie, so you feel, you feel like you have an understanding of it, and you can be properly upset if yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go your way. Um, 
Whereas sometimes you have to fake it. You're like, I don't think that movie's very good. And it's like, I haven't seen it, but <laughs> I'm just going to assume it's not good because it's not the one I watched, you know, the one I watched. <laughs> well, it's what I like to tell people, never let facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> That's a great point. So is there any certain thing that stands out? I mean, we've been talking about the cinematography, a little bit of the acting, but is there a certain aspect of the film? And it's our first impressions, but something that really stood out to you as being the best part of the film to you? Um, I would say, okay, so first and foremost is just the way it was shot. Like, just the directing, you know, kudos to Sam Mendes, and like like you said, the cinematography, really, really great. Um, the big the big set pieces, which we kind of talked about. My one almost disappointment was that there is a decent amount of it, you know, small parts of it from the trailer that are in the movie, and some of those parts are like the best part of the of the movie. You get more a lot more of it, but you almost wish that you got to be surprised by some of the things like him running across the field and that plane coming in and mm-hmm. crashing in. Like those are some of the coolest, most intense part of the movie. Um I thought it was really interesting. There's when when it's kind of getting to the back half of the movie and you can really feel the um Schofield's like humanity leaving him there are moments that bring him back to like his not not necessarily his senses but like to his mission and to his goals and it it comes back to like just human life which I found really interesting so he comes upon like when he wants to give up he comes upon the French woman and the baby Mm -hmm. and that like propels him forward and that leads him to you know, he eventually gets to the river and he's in this river and he's like, have to, and then the cherry blossoms start to come down upon him and he's like remembering his friend. And it's like, again, this kind of human moment that mm-hmm. yeah. retracts him back. And then again, he's pulled back and he has to go through a body of like dead people. And it's just, I thought there was this really interesting like push and pull from where you you feel like you're losing him and appropriately losing him and not like too on the nose being like nope nope you got to stay focused you've got things to fight for like that I found I found all those things very effective and very symbolic and interesting yeah i absolutely agree with you Joey on that the, those are those are cool i th- i think the 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 path was interesting you know here here and you you kind of feel it that all right, these the whole point of the story is these soldiers have to get from one area to another with really nothing to guide them except for like some verbal directions and and, and so like in all of this disorienting chaos and everything, you know, there's still a path. You know, they still find the path. Um I just thought that was that was a really really cool idea behind it, you know, is was, was that you know, he's running through the town getting shot at, and, it, and he knows I have to get to the river. That's he, all he knows. He, yeah, yeah. He, that's all he knows. He doesn't know anything else. He just knows I have to get to the river, and he, he does whatever he has to do to get to the river, you, you know. And uh, so I, th- I think that had a – but I mean, I think the whole idea of this, you know, horrific, horrific war, I mean, the things that they, you know, that they did in, the, in that war that they said they would never do ever again, you know – Brought, Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> brought brought down to just these two 
these two soldiers and and the the, the lack there of information for them and the importance of the information they had well and again it was like what i found interesting storytelling wise is that at the beginning Schofield is the one that is not assured yeah and he and you have Blake who is kind of playing the role and he looks it right he's got yeah. he's these doe-eyed he's kind of chubby like not chubby but like kid like chubby mm, you know yeah. what i mean like you can tell that he should maybe have just graduated high school yeah and he is so self-assured and Schofield's like hey maybe we shouldn't do this <laughs> like i don't think you realize that this is and you know he's the guy who is willing to trade the medal for a bottle of wine and and Blake doesn't get that and Blake is thinking in this heroic way and but again it takes the loss of Blake and some of those moments of humanity for Schofield to kind of find his way along this mm -hmm. path and like and he gets there and he's listening to the guys sing before they're about to go out to war I just I found all that very um intriguing and it was winding and like the path that like character wise Schofield went on was quite mm -hmm. similar to obviously the journey and the venture that he had I love that whole singing sequence by the way it, it was so it was so different than everything else that was going on but it fit yeah which which was was really cool and I think for me it, it's a very basic answer but we can talk about you know the great cinematography, the set design, and everything, but to me, the core of what makes a movie great is the story and the characters. Mm -hmm. And I still look at my favorite aspect being this little intimate story in this huge, important worldwide setting, and what these two have to do. It's a very simple task. They have to deliver a letter to essentially save over a thousand lives. Which that, again, we read that in the grand scheme of things, that's not even that many lives. Yeah, in the bucket, U.S. Yeah, lost over a hundred thousand. Yeah, Britain lost over a million. But but at, but at the time, it seems like it, a yeah a million exactly. know, a trillion <laughs> exactly. And the fact that they were able to tell this intimate story in this big setting, while adding the technical aspects to accentuate it, it to me is is what makes this. One of my favorite, I still count it as being in 2019 because it was released technically on yeah, Christmas yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't well, know where I would I would rank it as far as, you know, Knives Out is still my number one, but th this was this was really good. I really, I did I, really I, enjoy I, it. I really liked it. A little it. recency bias from 30 minutes ago. True. But I did but, really like it uh, quite a bit. It yeah. had a lot of what, things here, I Here's liked. a question. What do you think these actors had to do knowing that they would be on screen for the entirety of the movie. Like, like, what do you think the preparation with going with that? I think you prepare like you're preparing for a play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have to prepare. You have to have a knowledge of... Because when do you take a break? Right. And it's like balletic. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to You have to be able to... It's not, it's not a play. It's a musical. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a way, because there's set pieces and there's... And you're going to have to have dance numbers and you're going to have to, I mean, so I think that, and again, like similarly to Dunkirk, you, you put in there a spattering of famous British actors yeah. with a bunch of no name British boys and it works really well. Yeah. You, just, you, cause you get it's lost. It's a formula. Yeah, it yeah, is. And you formula. get, you get so lost in these kids cause you're like, no, Schofield, that's his name. 
<laughs> that's who yeah. that is. That okay, is now him. I know he's talking to Colin Firth <laughs> and Benedict Cumberbatch, but but Schofield, Schofield. that's him. Okay, Schofield, that is Schofield. Yeah. <laughs> Which the crazy thing is, Colin Firth and Cumberbatch—they were only in the movie for what thirty seconds to a minute combined. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Yeah. I mean they made an impact, and they their characters were important. But the fact that it was carried by these two essentially unknown actors was great. And I love when actors like that are put into the lead role and you add the big names as the supporting cast that show up for critical scenes. Like They might only be two, maybe three, but they're critical. Mm -hmm. And it's a big deal when they're on screen. Like I've I've been loving that formula ever since I've been... Because lately I've been watching movies as more of a means of studying for my next movie, but... I really love that formula. No offense to the Dunkirk no-name British boys, but I felt like those guys had to do a lot more work. Like, they had to carry the movie in a different way. Even though the cinematography and the shooting and the editing slash non-editing plays a big role in both those movies, Mm. the... The the Blake and Schofield, I feel like, had to really do some heavy lifting acting. Yeah, throughout the well, movie, because once again, there there really wasn't anybody else except for supporting characters to help. Yeah, like, like I mean, they, Schofield's in it for one hundred percent of the movie. One hundred percent of the movie. I mean, like because 90, because even when the yeah. even when the camera leaves, you know, I'm thinking of the scene where where he winds up. Um, I, you know, actually finding the the group he was, you know, he's sitting there on the tree, and like he's still part of that, right? That that setting, you know, he's still that he's still acting even though the camera has left him to kind of trace it along through through that group, but he still has to act. It's not like it's, there's a cut and we're gonna no. do this guy's line. Y- you know, it's still it's still there. So I can think of mentioning cuts. I can think of two spots specifically where I think there were cuts. I I think anytime uh, the the places I noticed was anytime um, land earth anything moved in front of the camera and you you that's, know, an, you, you that's saw an opportunity yeah. to where like a column or a the, building was in the foreground. Yeah, I mean there's there was times I the the first one I noticed was like they're they were about to go in the crater. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's like in there you you pass through this huge mound of dirt, and it's like okay, that that's probably probably where probably it the way that was shot was really cool. Yeah, because in the foreground you see like the crow pecking at the the yeah. corpse I mean, and everything. The rats, <laughs> he says. Even, yeah, those, again, there was like those rats there, were huge. There was kind of funny <laughs> moments where he's like, even the rats are bigger than ours. <laughs> I'm like, I'm laughing, but I'm also like, that's gross <laughs> and also terrifying. And that rat's got disease too. Okay, don't let it bite you. <laughs> and then you hear tripwire and you see a rat and you're like, oh. I'm like, trying to think to myself now. Don't touch if, the wire. Don't touch yeah. the wire. Don't. Ah. <laughs> I'm trying to think like what I would consider my favorite. Part like if I had to chunk up the movie, because there's definitely something to be said about like the first half hour of just yeah. going through like the no man's land, getting to the German bunker, and ending with them being pulled out. Yeah, is pretty. pretty to me, amazing. the most powerful scene was Blake's death. Yeah, and because you're especially uh, if you get to start that from like them looking through the farmhouse into the into the amazing 
plane crashing yeah. into them essentially through that f- finality. That that yeah, that was really great. Also, how did they get literally? I I know British people are very pale, but <laughs> Blake's face got so white, and I'm just trying to figure out how that worked. Like, what did they have to they, do? It had to have been probably CG with Ma- yeah, makeup, I don't know, yeah. like with makeup. Probably. Literally, props to whoever did that yeah. because he was slowly turning white well, as a ghost. They, yeah, I guess they could have at at the point. I mean, R.I.P. Blake. Yeah. I probably just maybe could have even used some type of mannequin of some type. Yeah. You know? But it was like while he was still talking yeah, and alive, see, he, he was he getting, was, you could like see paler. he was getting pale. It was kind of yeah. just crazy. I don't know. It was yeah. just kind of, and again, I'm saying that from the standpoint of like, there's not cuts. So it's not like someone came in and like put extra pale on his face in the middle of the, you know, it was just, I don't know. Well, you get the personal connection because at the very beginning, Colin Firth says, your brother is among these thousands of people who could possibly die. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he doesn't get to fulfill that mission, it, it it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I, 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 I did not expect that to happen. I didn't no. either. I caught Godzilla. Me. Yes, Which they, pulled, you, they pulled a Brian Cranston if, if you me. If you think about it, there are shots in the trailer where it's just Schofield. <laughs> we well, no, 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 were that. talking about that. We were, we're like, talking about that like, wait a minute. Like, actually, going back and looking at the trailer, it's like 75% just Schofield. Yeah. yeah. You're like, <laughs> oh, man, Blake, oh, no. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> that Well, I think it's Context like, clues. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> to, to your point, Derek, like, in terms of the way they use these kind of British stars was really well done in terms of because we already have an emotional connection to a lot of the more famous British people in the movie when you get to those reveals where he gets there and like the guy he's trying to deliver the message to is Benedict Cumberbatch you're like oh this is he's important like that's (laughs) that guy's important and then at the end you know if you're a Game of Thrones fan you see you know the the young wolf you see Richard Madden okay come and turn around you're like oh man man i really wish they would have gotten to reunite those brothers that i didn't ever have any experience with them being together but like that would have been good you know it's just (laughs) he does look like him but older (laughs) (laughs) but no this was i'm so glad that we finally got to see this movie because it it, to me it definitely lived up to the hype because we've been looking forward to this what since october november something like that yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's been and it has been like everywhere. Yeah. Trailer wise and lot well, of campaign. I, I made the comment to Adam before the movie started. I, I was looking in the theater, I was like, This is a really good crowd. I know it was a Friday night, but still, still if the, it's not Star Wars and it's full, you're impressed. Well, yeah, <laughs> seeing how they didn't put tickets on sale on Wednesday. It's not yeah, that, that's we'll talk a, to AMC about that. Yeah, yeah that, that's, a whole, here that's a whole that's a whole but they did come through. Yes, which, they which, did. which was good. So I do want to see it again, just in the sense that I feel like I'd be able to digest it a little bit better now that I kind of know what to expect. Because I had to do the same thing with Star Wars, but with Star Wars, it was I had to get all the fanboy stuff out of the way. Because the first time I just shut my brain off and enjoyed the ride, right. and the second time watched it more from, okay, this is what happens. Let me really get absorbed in the story and you know form an opinion that way. But I, I truly think you know from my first impression this lived up to the hype. It had a good balance of it had incredible cinematography. Mm-hmm. The locations mm-hmm. were great. I thought the acting with the two main characters 
was really good. I, I, I love intimate, isolated stories with one or two actors. You know, and, and I don't know if you guys ever got to see The Lighthouse. I, I really wanted to, but I didn't But it, it was to. the same way with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. The, the film is essentially centered around those two, and there are a couple of other characters in it, but it's built around their chemistry, mm-hmm. and that's what drives it and makes it really good because their chemistry is great. I thought the chemistry, and I can't remember the actors' names off the top of my head, but Blake and Schofield interacted extremely well They're, together. That's their actors name. That's, yeah. that's their name. Derek, that's they Blake, Blake, that's Blake, and Blake, Blake and Schofield drove the movie, <laughs> and that was the important thing. Four years later, they're going to do something. I'm be like, oh my God, Schofield. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever heard a red carpet premiere, Schofield. And you're like, Blake, you're alive. <laughs> How did that happen? My boy. Schofield, <laughs> you seem like you're doing well. Last time I saw I, you, yeah, you're you know confused what? and Derek, scared. I take it all back. My favorite moment of the whole movie is the way that Schofield walked around like Frankenstein when he was scared. <laughs> the dude, he had this. It really, it was actually quite incredible. Well, you see it in the trailer. It reminds me. Yeah. It kind of reminds me with the way that actually like Adam Driver is such a physical actor and he can do some stuff that's just like just radiates physicality. And this was similar, but not in a confident way. In like a I don't know how to move my legs anymore kind of way and I'm just but I'm still going to move forward but I don't know if my legs my knees can bend. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just I don't know it was just like the his shocked face was just quite quite good. Yeah. It was. <laughs> so as we start to wrap up here final overall thoughts on 1917. It's definitely an experience and I think it's a movie that you have to go and experience. And, you know, on a bigger on a bigger screen like that, you know, it wasn't IMAX for us, but uh, I'm sure it's in large format, you know, displays and everything. But it's an experience to sit there and and basically journey with these two characters through a horrific, horrific, but also beautiful landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it was I will say it did a great job of capturing the carnage of the war with you seeing all yeah. the dead bodies and even like the dead horses and everything at the beginning but, was just, but there was, there was beauty in, you know, I'm thinking of, of the town that they get, that Schofield gets to and just how beautiful that scene was with, with him running through those ruins with the, with only by light of the flare, you and know, and the shadows it casted and the, 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 the confused, you know, all these, you don't know where the action's coming from, but all you see is shadows moving and you don't know what, I mean, you just. That was a pretty incredible part of the oh movie. Oh my God. When he, from, from the spot where that guy like comes after him and yeah. tries to shoot him and he goes down, he, we have the moment with the, baby Yoda. I'm sorry, the baby. <laughs> and <laughs> the milk. And we got the, the child. Milk. And then him walking through and he sees the other guy. I mean. Yeah. Through I, that, that town that, again, that, and that's what you. Super, super, like, props to Mendes because a lot of that is just super awesome directing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, to your point, Derek, I just tried to kind of look up, again, like, the top movies of the year and, and try to place it. I I really actually think it's been quite a good movie or year for movies. Um, mm-hmm. And it's tough for me to pick, like, to say either best or favorite Um and where this would fall. Um, but I did really enjoy the experience for more than just the action and thrill of it, to your point, about kind of the character work that was done. I really appreciated. But I think 
leaving it the thing I'm gonna remember most is some of the like the visceral feelings that it evoked from me and that's kind of what I was I think that's what I was looking for like I was going there being like I kind of want a similar feeling to Dunkirk but a new story um and told in a different way and it did it definitely did those things let, let me. me ask you this because this is kind of the feeling I get I kind of get the feeling that without the cuts you never really do leave the things that happened earlier in yeah. the movie behind I it, 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 agreed it it it, it, it that's a good point. You never he, do. Like, there's never that, that one, cut. When we get the one cut in essentially the middle of the movie where it's a true cut and he yeah. has been, like, hit of some sort and knocked, knocked out, out for multiple hours, that is, like, a moment of, like, relief. Yeah. Like, I remember sitting there being like, oh, my God. It's almost like intermission. You. Yeah. It was like, you know? I needed that. Thank you. Because <laughs> I <laughs> to dump I just, the first need, half yeah, of the movie. I really just needed, like, a moment. For it to not, and I think your point from earlier still, I get a little off track, but your point from earlier was really good where almost the parts of it where things are happening was more of a relief it's than the, relief. the wait for it to happen. All that was terrifying. When it was actually happening, you're like, okay, well, whatever happens, happens, you know, <laughs> but I can't sit here any longer waiting for <laughs> someone to get shot. Well, it's like that old saying, the threat of the punishment is worse than the punishment itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's. I hope that at some point while it's in theaters, we get it in IMAX. Yeah. Because I would love to. I mean, I'm going to see it again regardless, but if it's in IMAX, I will be there in a heartbeat. Just got to get that little known Star Wars film out of there. I right? know, right? Still TIE fighters flying over yeah. 1917 France. <laughs> I would like to see it again because I thought that was all a part of it. I just thought there were a lot of planes. <laughs> I, I, if I had to guess, those were twin ion engines. They were. I, just I didn't just know the Germans had twin ion engines. I, I didn't oh, know the man. Germans were actually the Galactic Empire. <laughs> so, as we wrap up here, um, I know you guys just released an EP. So, where can people find it? And what is it called? Uh, it is called uh, More Than a Myth. It is on all of the digital platforms. Um, it features uh, four, five uh, new Unicorn Wrangler songs um, that we wrote and recorded during the summer uh, and and released. Uh, so we're really excited about it. Um, yeah, so Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, uh, r- really any of the uh, Google Music, YouTube Music, all those those places you can you can catch that. You can catch our holiday song. I know we're a little past uh, Christmas, but you can still catch it. Um, we're excited to have some shows coming up, uh, and, uh, hopefully to, to hit the, hit the studio later on, uh, this, uh, this spring. And you guys have social media that the listeners can follow you guys on? No, we're off the grid. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> you can get Face- your albums by Facebook. Carrier Pigeon. <laughs> Facebook, uh, tw- Twitter, and, uh, Instagram. We respond to telegrams and letters <laughs> delivered by scared British soldiers, soldiers. only. That's it. <laughs> But I'm going to refuse in, to open that letter. <laughs> also in Morse code. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, this was fun. Oh, we'll yeah. To, we have to have you guys back on to talk more movies. Love to come back on. Happy to be joined with my special guest this week, actor and fellow podcaster, Jasper Cole. How are you tonight, sir? Hey, buddy. I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. We were just actually talking, you know, about some 
some cool life stuff as well as your podcast, which I know we'll we'll get into in just a second. But I, I wanted sure. to start a little bit about your acting career. You had mentioned when we were talking before that you actually grew up uh, in Athens, Georgia, which actually isn't too terribly far from where I live. So what was it like growing up in Athens? And growing up, what, what was it that made you decide, I want to try out this acting thing? Well, you know, actually, uh, Athens is a college town. So it's uh, home of the UGA, University of Georgia, Bulldogs. <laughs> um, so in, in a, it was great because in a way, you know, I was exposed to different cultures and pretty much I'd say at that time, um, 60% probably of the of the people in town either worked for the university, they were somehow connected. So they would come from all over the, the country and all over the world. And so I, I was really kind of, I kind of grew up with this eclectic blend of people and, you know, Athens is known for, like, REM, B-52, so there's this, like, music scene going. It's a really unique little pocket of the South. It's um, 60 miles from Atlanta. and um, But, yeah, as far as – here's the thing. I always say I was sort of like a closet thespian, meaning that I, I had a great love of television and film, but I was the youngest of four boys, and, you know, it, it, theater and acting – at that time was not considered quote cool. So I, <laughs> I kind of followed in my brother's uh, footsteps and I was doing the sports and all that stuff, but I secretly really wanted to act. And, uh, uh, since I was a kid, I was really, like I said, something about television, episodic TV growing up in the seventies. Um, it was all the Norman Lear classics, which is so funny because they've been doing these remakes of, or the live you know, uh, the Jeffersons and good times recently. Um, so TV and comedy in particular was always my, my thing. Um, and so I, it wasn't until I graduated high school and started college that I started pursuing, you know, theater and acting and I moved to Atlanta. Um, and then I was in Atlanta for two years at the Atlanta Alliance theater and they had like a full program with playwriting, acting, and all directing and the whole thing. And um, I met a fellow Georgian, Becky Kennedy, and we wrote, we co-wrote a play called Willow Springs Now. We co-starred in it, and we put it up in Atlanta, and um, it did well. It got a nice following, and then we uh, we brought it to LA. So so it all happened pretty quickly. I mean, I got to LA in '87. And I, well, it was five. It was five years between high school and moving here. Nice. No, and, and something that a lot of people don't know about, especially those who aren't from the South, is that the Atlanta area, and you know, including Athens and that as well, is is really like a melting pot of the mm-hmm. South because there's just so much stuff going on. And you mentioning going to Atlanta for theater, they also have a lot of things for graphic design. Uh, television studios and various things like that. So I, it sounds like growing up in the area you did really helped out as far as, and, and even giving you a little bit of an advantage as far as having you know, the right education and the right opportunities. Yeah, and you know, the, what's so ironic now, like 30 years later, Atlanta has become, we call it Hollywood South. You know, it's it's like I have an agent there now and I, I, I work there and I go on tape for auditions all the time. It's still, it's still very strange to me because I left that area 
because there really quote wasn't you know there wasn't a, enough work to make a living and and now it's it's a full on acting community and there are people actually leaving LA going back to Georgia to live because there's so many TV and film opportunities so it's it's just amazing how it all comes full circle but um but you're right yes it, it it's not like i lived you know disconnected out on the farm you know from culture and stuff like that so that was that was a true blessing although on the flip side i you know i do appreciate the rural south and not so much politically right now we won't get into all of that but but you know i appreciate my heritage and and growing up in the south um but yeah, I was blessed to be in that sort of that sort of uh, college town environment. Absolutely, and I imagine it's probably if you get the chance to ever visit home, it's probably nice to, you know, you saying you have an appreciation for the rural South is probably nice to get away from the busyness of L.A. Because I, I went out to L.A. to visit uh, or just to go on vacation for a few days, and I was like, it was kind of a culture shock for me because I had never been to the West Coast before, mm-hmm. and it's. It was very different, but I, I definitely see the the allure of it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I moved here when I was 23, so I'm 55 now. But I, I now live in Palm Springs, which is 100 miles outside of Los Angeles. I was a, a part-time – for 15 years, I was a part-time resident. And then a year and a half ago, I ended up moving full-time here. So mainly due to the fact that the traffic – I could, it takes me an hour and a half to drive from here to LA, but it, but it's an hour and a half of straight moving, you know, Mm -hmm. I could, I can get there faster than I can get across town in LA. Um, there were days I'd be sitting in LA for two hours trying to get to a shoot or an audition. And I finally was like, why am I, (laughs) what am I doing sitting here? (laughs) I, I, I could drive in from Palm Springs and have a much better quality of life. So, um, I think it's part of getting older too, you know, as you get older, you kind of want a small town feel, but, and it's just, yeah, I don't want to sound like that, you know, get off my lawn, the old guy, but, but it's, I I talk to even younger people who, who've been in LA for a while. They say it really has gotten really crowded. It's not just me being old saying that it's just gotten the traffic and the growth is so much there. So, but, so I have the best of both. I get to dip in and dip out. You know, I go yeah. into work and, and, uh, and come back home. And so it's kind of a blessing to have both places now. Well, now I just have the one home, but, um, but it's great to drive in and drive back. Oh, absolutely. Now, so you move out to LA with, you know, having your play out in Los Angeles, how do you transition from that into getting into film and TV? Well, you know, everything, I put everything back to this little play, Willow Springs Now, because when Becky and I brought it out here, we um, we met a producer. They have what's called 99-seat um, theater, which is basically equity waiver theater, black box theater um, in Los Angeles. We met a producer, and he had a long-running hit show called Bleacher Bombs. And he said to us, well, I'll put you up as a, a late night after the show kind of thing. And we built sort of a following. And from that, people started coming and agents and managers. And because it was a talk show spoof of this redneck, just rundown cable access uh, station in Georgia. And we played the two idiot hosts, Buck and Faye Ann, 
ironically, here I am like all these years later hosting, you know, a radio show. But um, yeah, so that's what happened. I got a manager and an agent from it. And, um, and just kind of, that's what started, you know, I um, started hitting the road, hitting the pavement, auditioning and, and uh, booking small parts and TV and small films. And it's, it's so interesting looking back. Um, I just wish I had been a little more present. Like I think it's part of being in your twenties. I didn't really appreciate what was happening and how lucky I was at the time. And, um, and, and kind of take, took it all in. I was always on this, got to get to the next level, got to get to the next job when I make it kind of thing. And that's been my mantra lately. When I, when, when, when the old guy preaches to the young kids, I'm like, stop saying when I make it, you know, because truthfully we're making it every day. We're on the journey. Yeah. You know, we're, you know, it, there, there is no making it because, you know, I, I've worked, like I always say, I took me years to get to the middle in Hollywood, but I have friends that are very, you know, big stars. And it's, it's basically always the struggle. No one really thinks they've ever made it, you know, in, in this, probably in any business, but especially in show business. So, so yeah. So in looking back, I was very lucky, but I, you know, I got the, t- um, temp jobs. I had waited tables in Atlanta already, so I, I didn't do that, but I, I lucked out and I got a, um, a permanent temp job at Ogilvy and Mather advertising in Los Angeles. And basically I was kind of running my production company from the front desk at the, <laughs> at the uh, advertising agency and they would let me leave and go on auditions and stuff. So I did that for the first four years I was in LA. Um, and then I got um, my first TV pilot, which paid me enough to, you know, sort of leave that job. And I've just sort of always been fortunate to make a living acting one way or the other, you know, it wasn't always, uh, lucrative years but i just um between theater and commercials were always a big bread and butter for me um still are that that industry's changed a lot but commercials for a lot of us actors that's how we sort of make our core money for health insurance and stuff like that so right What you just said makes me think of an interview I had a few weeks ago where we were talking about what truly is the measure of success when it comes to working in really any type of industry. We were talking about the entertainment industry specifically Mm -hmm. and the fact that you've been able to make a living doing what you've wanted to do for so long. You know, that's a, a true testament to, you know, your drive and the fact that you've been able to do it. That's a really inspiring story. Well, thank you. And, you know, I have to say it's I did come to town also producing the little play we did. So I always sort of wasn't just acting and that just happened to be my path. But so because, you know, like so I produced and then I wrote and I also own a talent management company. I've I've had that for 17 years. So right now I represent 20 other actors as well. Oh, wow. And. Yeah, that that just kind of felt. It's funny in life, you know. Certain things that you're not really trying to get sometimes fall in your lap, and you think they mean nothing. And then in hindsight, you go, "Wow, that's the best thing I ever did." The acting for me was such a a, a chase, and it's like dangling the carrot, and I was always going after it. But like the producing and the writing and the management company, 
it just kind of came to me and I didn't really even appreciate that, but, but it's kept me, I'm in the industry. So when I'm not acting, I'm, I'm still in the industry. And quite frankly, it keeps me so busy that acting is sort of the easiest of what I do now. So when I get to go just be an actor and not have to make decisions and be a producer, I just, it's just like a vacation to just go and (laughs) just go and sit in my trailer and, and say, if something's on fire, not my problem. Yeah. You know, call me when you, when you want me kind of thing. But I've just, I've always loved everything showbiz, the industry, stuff around it. You know, I've got this mind full of just endless, worthless pop culture knowledge. That, that means nothing. But, um, but that's part of the reason I started my podcast one on one with Jasper Cole is like, you know, ironically I, I got on I got in this part of my career where I started playing all these serial killers and bad people and homeless people and I, I've been so grateful to be I always say I'm so grateful to be typecast. Considering that I thought I would be doing comedy in my career. Um but I did the podcast just to kind of show my real personality, which is not the creepy serial killer. Um just to kind of show another part of myself that's really who I am and not, not a lot of the characters I play. So I get to be a little more irreverent and sardonic and sarcastic in my real personality. And I'm really, really into politics and political commentary. And so, you know, I don't mix that in my um, acting career. So it gives me a chance to sort of show that other side of my personality. Well, and that's what I tell people with if they're interested in doing a podcast. I tell them that, you know, you should absolutely do it because for one, it's it's a really good outlet to have, you know, because like with, with mine, for example, a lot of my friends and I, we love talking about movies and right. the, the industry has just fascinated me for pretty much my entire life. And then when I decided that was what I wanted to do as a profession, I focused it on talking with, you know, filmmakers, actors such as yourself and really pick their brains so that way people who aspire to make film or act or write can get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it's a good learning tool for me with picking right. other people's you, brains. You know, and the thing I always say is like, the thing about show business in particular, it's such a nebulous thing. In other words, it's not a career that anybody has a straight path. You know, everybody's path and journey is so unique. And so it's not like, certain professions where you know like if you want to be a lawyer you're going to take you're going to get your degree and then you're going to get the take the LSAT or whatever that is and you know but with acting I'm sure you find this out because you speak to so many different people in the industry there's no one path we all have these bizarre stories or you Mm -hmm. know or just like and it's really hard I guess what I say to to people starting out now is they're so blessed to have all these outlets social media YouTube uh, TikTok, you know, all the different platforms that you can put your work up on. When I started, it was basically you go, you do theater, you try to get seen. For that, you move to television and film, you know. Now it's it's, it's just, and then there's all the streaming services. And so in a way, it's, a, it's an amazing time for new talent because they are more in control. You can be more in control. You're not so at the mercy of waiting for the phone to ring kind of thing or waiting to get a text or, you know, you, you're, you can take control of your career. Um, and so that's why I think it's a good time for younger people on the flip side. 
it's more competitive. You know, you've got four corporations that own all the studios now. So there's a hierarchy that has changed for those of us that are like veteran working actors. Everyone's been kind of bumped down a notch, you know, so big movie stars are doing series leads now. And so series leads are doing guest star reoccurrings and the guest star reoccurrings are doing co-stars. It's just kind of feast or famine, like take it or leave it. But I just, honestly, I love the time between action and cut. That's what I still love to do. The, the, all the other stuff around it, I'm not as, you know, I don't get as excited about anymore, but my goal, as I said, if I ever get to the point where I'm not enjoying the work, I will quit because there's nothing worse than sort of like a bitter, just a bitter old actor on the set. I think a lot of older actors are having a hard time right now. Um, when I say older, just anyone who's been in the business like 20 years, cause it's changed so much. You, you have to audition now for one and two lines in television, you know, but on the flip side, you don't have to really go in person anymore. So many of the auditions are on tape. Mm -hmm. um, but again, now they're getting more tapes from all over the country. So it's um, the competition is more. So I just, I'm so blessed to have ever gotten on this, like, you know, bad guy list because um, it's funny. I tell young actors, Yes, try to get typecast. It's the greatest thing. I wish I'd been typecast earlier. I spent the first probably 10 years, 15 years of my career just kind of, you know, I wasn't really leading guy, Hollywood leading guy, and I wasn't really charactery enough. So I kind of felt, I was always like the best friend, the sidekick, kind of the boring, just whatever. And I was lucky to work, but really now being in this category, it's it's it was a, it was a blessing to kind of get over into this this lane of mine now. Well, and that was something I wanted to ask you about because looking at your you know, huge amount of IMDb credits, a lot of the roles you play are as a villain. So how is it that you got into what you essentially call being typecast as a villain? Like, what, what, How did that start? I know, right? I, I, I trace it back, I believe. Um, I did a pilot like in 2000. Five, which never got picked up, but I was playing sort of a corrupt cop. And then I did a Michael Eisner, one of the very first web series. It was called Prom Queen, like in 2007 or somewhere in there. And that I got cast as sort of the really evil stepfather to one of the lead guys. And um, and then from that, I got cast in like a, some commercial spots. And so what I did was I thought, hmm, wait a second. So I intentionally like grew my hair out, let the beard grow in, and I kind of completely changed my entire look. I mean, to the point where if I see someone from that hasn't seen me in like 10 years, they can just walk past me on the street. They don't even recognize me. Um, so I had to sort of reintroduce myself to the to the industry or or in some cases introduce myself because so many of the young casting directors didn't know who I was anyway. Um and it was kind of, so in hindsight, yeah, it was a conscious choice. Um, and I kind of, that's what happened. And then from there, I just started getting uh, cast in, in these home, a lot of homeless roles. And, you know, it was probably, and then probably my biggest break was MacGruber in 2009, mm -hmm. um, which was supposed to be this really big film that, you know, did not do great at the box office, but it, it has since garnered this cult following and, and, um, 
it's one of those that's turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But yeah, that was really McGroover was my big, biggest part, which ended up being cut a lot. But that was my biggest bad guy part in a studio picture up to that point. And uh, so the last 10 or 12 years, is, I've just been really blessed to do as much TV and film as I do. Um, I'm excited because I just got cast. I'm going to be cast in a new film coming up and I'm at, it's actually a comedy and for once I'm not actually like the killer the, the the creepy person I am sort of a kind of a gun fanatic you know redneck guy that you think is going to be kind of crazy but he ends up being really funny so I'm excited to get a, <laughs> to get to do an actual comedy because even in the comedies that I do on TV I'm still I'm not the funny I mean I'm still the bad guy you know like when I did Brooklyn Nine Nine or something. I'm still the the serial killer, um, which is a super underrated show, by the way. Around me, but not because of me. Yeah, Bro- yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine is a super underrated show, isn't it? I mean, I think it's fantastic. Well, and you mentioning earlier, I, I, it's almost like a golden age of television because there's mm-hmm. so much content that's out there, not just on networks, but on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, Hulu. There's so much of it that it's really impossible to to watch all of it and to digest all of it because you can, you know, you and I could be having a conversation and you could ask me, hey, have you seen, you know, shows A, B, and C? Well, no, I haven't had a chance to watch them yet, but I have been watching shows one, two, and three. You're like, oh, I've heard good stuff about that, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. No, it's true. I mean, as actors, oh my God, it's so amazing. We have all these opportunity platforms, but as a viewer, you're right. Like I'll read in the trades, they'll say like such and such show ends after three seasons. I'm like three seasons. I've never even heard of it. Like where was it airing? You know, and it'll be like epics or aspire or some platform I don't even know about. So, and I'm not a, I don't have the, the attention span to like binge, more than maybe two episodes at a time. I, I just, I'm, I just, I have too much to do. So yeah. I, I, I guess I'm still old fashioned in that. I like that destination television. Like right now, my only, I think Ray Donovan is my one Sunday night, you know, wait till Sunday night to watch a TV show. But I have friends that they do that to me. They're like, Jasper, have you seen all, and they'll just start naming all these shows on Netflix and stuff. And, I want to say, when do you have time to watch, you know, 12 episodes in a row yeah. of something? But but from our employment opportunity side, it's great because it's just so much more opportunity. No, absolutely. As we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask, you had mentioned advice you give to, non, to young actors, and that's don't afraid to be typecast. Do you have any other advice that you would give to anyone who aspires to be an actor or work in the film and television industry? Yeah. I mean, I, I really say this to people. I go, look, if, if there's anything else you think you could do and be really happy, I, I would say go do it because you're, you're choosing to go into an area of life that can be very unpredictable. I mean, only a certain percentage of screen actors, guild members make a living and all that. So if you can look at all the negative parts of it and know that you still want, have to do it and want to do it. But more than that, just know that it's just a job. It's not brain surgery. Don't buy into all this hype around acting and the business that it's, you're so special and you're such a unique person that does it. I mean, 
don't get me wrong, not I, not everybody wants to act, but it's it's not brain surgery. You know, it's just a job. And um, and the last thing I say is have have a really quality life if you're going to do this job. Don't just be so focused that you're giving up relationships and marriage and kids and you know because there's nothing worse to wake up at like 50 and look around and go oh my god i passed up life waiting on some acting opportunity so that would be my big advice is and it only makes you a better actor to get out and live life you know right and uh yeah so but i want to quickly mention um my website is jaspercole.com, and it's got all the links to every all the social media and all that stuff. And yesterday, um, a new film of mine, Captured, just dropped. I love that. Just dropped on all the platforms. Um, and then Anyone Home came out last month. So those are two that are out on Amazon and VOD and all that stuff. So just want to get that plug in. No, absolutely. I'll, I'll have to check both of those out. And do you have any type of? Uh, can people find your podcast on your website as well? Yeah, I, oh, yes, one on one with Jasper Cole, and you can just also go to. It's on iTunes and Spricker and Stitcher and Spotify. You know all the usual platforms. And the live show is every Thursday night, uh, six o'clock Pacific time. But yeah, it's, it, we're out on all the platforms. I, I'm coming up on my hundredth episode. Oh, congratulations! Um, coming up so i wish you likewise all the continued success i've been listening to your your past shows so i'll now be a a regular listener and i appreciate you taking the time to have me on the show oh thank you no and and thank you so much and you're welcome to come on the show anytime and enjoy that beautiful pensacola florida you're very lucky to live there thanks again to adam and joey from the unicorn wranglers for stopping by to talk about 1917 and thank you to jasper cole for talking about his career and the advice he gave for aspiring actors and filmmakers. If you want to check out his latest film, Captured, it's now available on Amazon Prime. For next week's show, I'm going to be doing something that I haven't done in a year and a half, and that is go live. I will be hosting a special live edition of the Derek Diamond Experience this upcoming Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Central Time on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Podcast. I'll be listing my top 10 movies from 2019, so feel free to join in the chat, talk about some of your favorite movies, your least favorite movies, and I'll talk about them on the show as well. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit nervous about it because I haven't done it in so long, but it should be a lot of fun either way, and hopefully you guys will join me. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And I mentioned them earlier, but thank you as always to the Unicorn Wranglers for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here on Tuesday on Facebook Live. (laughs) 